You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. All of this, Psalm, Psalm 47. <clears throat> it's entitled, For the Director of Music of the Sons of Korah, a Psalm. Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. How awesome is the Lord Most High, the great King over all the earth. He subdued nations under us, peoples under our feet. He chose our inheritance for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loved. God has ascended amid shouts of joy, the Lord amid the sounding of trumpets. Sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our King, sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth, sing to Him a psalm of praise. God reigns over the nations. God is seated on his holy throne. The nobles of the nations assemble as the people of the God of Abraham, for the kings of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted. Just listening to Caroline, and thank you so much for sharing that with us. And also on Friday, we had a tremendous meeting here with Patrick Sakidu, and uh, what he had to say and just thinking about how God works in the nations and how sometimes we can get very discouraged by things that are going on either in our own nation, our own church, our own particular circumstances. And one of the ways that we can be helped in that is to get a much bigger picture of who God is and what God is doing. And that's what we're looking at this evening. We're just looking at how God is at work and who God is and the majesty and glory of God. Now, Psalm 47, it's a song, obviously. It's a song in two verses, really. They are two very parallel verses. Each begins with a cry to praise and ends with an acclamation of God ascending. And uh, we're going to look uh, at these before we take communion together. Now, verse one, if you've got a, the Bible, if you don't have a Bible, there's, a Bi- there's Bibles at the back. Um, I don't have the words up on the screen, so uh, otherwise I'll read through it as we go as well. But let's follow this through. In verse one, clap your hands, all you nations. A couple of things just even about that. I don't like the phrase, happy clappy, for lots of reasons. People say you don't like it because it doesn't describe you, because uh, I'm not happy clappy in that sense. I'm, I'm happy, and I'll clap, but just don't put the two together in church. For, <laughs> and so, no, that's terrible. I shouldn't say that, but you know, you've, we, we, you go to churches where it's very natural for people to clap, right? I'm a Scottish Presbyterian. That's, I can wring my hands, but putting them together, I do, I do the one hand clapping thing, right? That's, that's fine. And people have asked us this. They said, you know, how come, you know, you've got a band and so on and nobody ever claps in the church? And you think, okay, that's a very good question. I'm inclined to ask you. And I'll tell you why. It's because we're all so self-conscious. Now, I think it's terrible that I, I hate, honestly, I hate going to a church when people say, now, come on, if you really love Jesus, clap your hands. Because I'm going like that. I'm going, you are not judging my loving Jesus by my clapping my hands. It's just not going to happen. But but we kind of go the opposite way. 
Whereas if you really love Jesus and you're serious, you won't clap your hands. And my view is just simply, there's nothing wrong with clapping your hands. There's feel free to do so. Obviously, there are some songs it's completely inappropriate. I can't really see how you can clap your hands singing Psalm 51, for example, to St. Kilda. That's not really going to work too well. But there are other songs that, well, why not clap your hands? It's an expression of appreciation. It's one that's in our culture as well. And if you think, some people will think, well, that's not being very serious. I've gone back to the Puritans and to the, to the heroes of our faith, the reform guys, People like Matthew Henry, who says this, clap your hands here means as men transported with pleasure that cannot contain themselves. He says that shout to God with cries of joy. We do that, incidentally, not to make God hear because God's not deaf. We do that so that other people will hear what we think of God, which I thought, uh, I never thought about that. And I thought, Matthew, Matthew Henry, I thought, you know, that's actually... That's what's going on. We're not, God is not deaf that we, he needs to hear us. But it's when we are praising God, other people are aware that we are praising God. In fact, he puts it this way. But to make all about you hear and take notice how much you are affected and filled with the works of God. Shout with the voice of triumph in him and in his power and goodness that others may join with you in triumph. Well, if a Puritan commentator like Matthew Henry can say that, then sometimes our reaction against what I would call manipulative praise, our reaction against people who twist the emotions and who try and make us all hyped up and all worked up, our reaction sometimes goes to the other extreme and it's wrong. There would be absolutely nothing wrong with people who express their praise to God, their delight in God by singing, by shouting, by clapping our hands. Just as there is nothing wrong with tears, there's nothing wrong with silence, there's nothing wrong with um, what some people would consider more reverence. You can rejoice reverently as well. And what I love about this, clap your hands, is very unusual, the, the, the call to praise, because it's all you nations. It's a call not just to God's people, not just to Israel, but to all the nations. Israel is a tiny nation in the world at this point. It is a nation that is battered and bruised and surrounded by massive countries. And yet the psalmist is saying, all the nations need to praise God. It's a call for all the nations to do that. And I think that that is what we are asking to do. We are surrounded, we are battered, we are bruised in so many different ways. And we're saying to all of Dundee, we're saying to all of Scotland, we're saying to all the nations throughout the world, you need to praise God because our God is worthy of praise and we're not going to be satisfied until the whole earth worships and adores him. When Caroline's speaking about 50 million Pashtuns and you know, the hospitality and the common grace that is in their culture, it just... Instead of making you fear the Pakistani and uh, Afghan Pashtuns and, and those who are Taliban and those who are not, I think for me it just makes you long that they would come to know God. They would come to know him through Jesus Christ. And that's what the psalmist does here in, the, in both these verses. He, in verse 2 he says, how awesome is our God. 
How awesome is the Lord Most High, the great King over all the earth. He is not a local deity. He is not a tribal God. He is not the God of our denomination. He's not the God of our circumstances and our particular culture. You, we, we, you have to be very careful not to fall into the narrative of the culture which says, oh yeah, Christianity used to be quite big in Scotland, but it's all dying. God is not dead. There's a, a lovely story, a very well-known story that's been told many, many times of Martin Luther, but I love it because it shows the wisdom of his wife, Katie. Um, she was a nun. Well, she wasn't when she married him, but um, she... she uh, one day, Luther was struggling away in all the battles and troubles that he had, and one day she came down uh, to the kitchen, and she was dressed in black, all incredibly somber. And Luther looked up and said, what happened? Did someone die? She said, yes. Who? God. What? What are you saying, woman? Explain yourself. Well, God must have died. Why are you so miserable? And he got the point. Now, there is a way to nag your husband. No, I I just, I thought, a very wise thing in some sense. We get so discouraged, we get so depressed about different things that are happening, and so we should. It should break our hearts at the state of the church in Scotland, but God is not dead. And God will build his church. And we don't ask people to come and praise the church, our particular groups, our particular denominations. We ask people to come and praise God. How awesome is the Lord Most High? And why is he awesome? Because he takes care of his people. I have to be careful with so many Hebrew scholars in the congregation, but there's a very unusual name here used. Yahweh, which is normal, the personal name of God, Jehovah translated in um, the older English versions. But Yahweh Elyon. And Elyon is a name for God that would have been used amongst different peoples, not just the Jewish people. And what the psalmist is doing here, he's saying the God of Israel is actually the God of all these nations. The God of the Pashtuns, the God of the Hindus, the God of uh, all these different nations. Not that, he's not saying all these religions are the same and they all point to the one God. In fact, what's happening is religion amongst mankind takes people away from God. But he's the God of all the earth. And when people say, well, maybe you shouldn't be trying to take the gospel to Pashtuns, why do you want Hindus to become Christians? It's not because of a racial thing. It's not racism. It's not because of a a white superiority thing as though Christianity was a white religion. It's because God is God of the whole earth. And these religions, Hinduism, Islam, Buddhism, they take away from God. They don't cause us to rejoice in God and to know God. And so the psalmist is saying, how awesome is our God. He's the great king of the whole earth. And how he knows this as well is that this personal God of Israel is the God who takes note of his people and acts. And the two verses that follow say that. He subdued nations under us, people under our feet. God acts in power for his people. He's the king who acts. Like um, in Britain, we have a constitutional monarchy. What that means is we have a queen who is the head of the constitution. But what does the queen do for you? Bottom line is pretty well nothing. She might be your queen. You could 
swear loyalty if you're a member of parliament or a member of the armed forces. But the queen is, in a sense, a notional head, a figural head. Now, this is a figurative head, but this is different. God is really the king. He's really our king, and he acts for his people. He acts in power. He's not someone who's distant and someone who's far off. Verse 4, he chose our inheritance for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loved. God has acted in love for his people. I think when you, you think of great dictators, and sometimes people think of God like that, there are great dictators who might say, look how my people love me because they've been paid to uh, come out and demonstrate or show love, or they've been compelled to come and do it. But what's different about the God of the Bible is, it's, it's look how he loves us. Look what he has done for us. Here's this tiny nation, Israel, saying, we're the pride of Jacob, whom he loved. The only reason we've survived is because God loves us. The only reason we are here is because God loves us. And we want the whole world to celebrate and to rejoice in the fact that there is a God who loves his people. He's chosen our inheritance for us. In fact, one of the commentators on this says this carries the idea of Israel being a, an attractive people by displaying what God has done for Israel. That people see something beautiful, something astonishing, something amazing. They're not afraid of Israel. It's tiny Israel. But they see God at work in that small nation. I think that's a great metaphor for us as a church and as a people. Let people be amazed at what God has done. I did a wedding yesterday and there were a lot of people at the wedding who don't normally go to church. And uh, one of the guys afterwards came up to me and said, I really you know, I want to thank you for that. He said, that was not what I expected. And I said, well, I kind of figured it probably wouldn't be because I guess you don't normally come to church. He said, no, never go to church. I said, what were you expecting? He said, well, I don't know, he said, but it was a lot happier than I thought it would be. And we, we weren't even clapping hands. I mean, it was, <laughs> and, and it was just talking to him. I just thought, even in that small thing, he has seen when we talked about Jesus, we talked about God's word, we talked there's just something there. When you go to work tomorrow, don't moan about your inheritance. You know, don't, oh, I've just, just had such a terrible time, and the world's so terrible, and my family's awful, and I haven't got enough money, and Andy Murray's never going to win Wimbledon, and whatever else that you want to gripe about. Don't do it. What a difference it would make if someone said, how are you? You said, you know what? Sometimes I feel really discouraged and I feel really depressed and sometimes I really struggle with a lot of things. But I'm immensely thankful because I have a great inheritance. Because for me, everything is going to be gain because of what Jesus has done for me. Now, if you speak in those terms, you probably will freak people out. But if that was our attitude, I think it would make a phenomenal difference. And that's why he says, verse 5, God has ascended amid shouts of joy. The Lord amid the sounding of trumpets sing praises to God. 
God's kingship can be shouted again. He's ascended, like if you read in 2 Samuel chapter 6. In fact, let me just go there briefly. I'll not read the whole chapter, but if you turn back, 2 Samuel after 1 Samuel chapter 6, uh, it's on page 309. And it talks about David bringing up the ark. And at verse 5, the ark is going up the hill. And David and the whole house of Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with songs and with harps, lyres, tambourines, sistrums, and cymbals. The ark went up to Jerusalem and God's people really celebrated. God is on his throne, trumpets blazing, crowds cheering, choirs singing, bands playing. Again, the word for God that is used in the psalm, Elohim, the God of Melchizedek, the priest king. So that first verse is an invitation to praise God for all the nations because the God of Israel is the great king of the whole earth, not just of Israel. He's a God who's acted in power for his people. He's a God who's acted in love for his people. And he's a God who is worthy of being praised. Back in Psalm 49, the second stanza follows exactly the same thing. So going from verse 6, there is another invitation to praise. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises. And the reasons are again given. Verse 7, again, God is awesome. God is the King of all the earth. Sing to Him a psalm of praise. We sing to him and we sing with understanding. We praise a holy God with holy praises. We need to really remember that in praise, by the way. What we are not doing in praise is, oh, we are singing this tune or this song because we like it. Because this tune makes us feel good or that song really affects us. To really praise God, you have to think about the words of what you are singing. The tunes you hope will be appropriate. The music would be appropriate. People will argue about different styles. That for me is not the issue. The issue is, do we understand what we are singing? It is, you know, we sing sometimes great, great words. And we really need to feel them. We sang this morning, how great is our God. It's easy to sing. Nice tune. But when we sang it, did we understand just even a little bit of the greatness of our God? Because if we did, how come we were so discouraged and so flat? Sometimes you do that. Sometimes you sing and then you just walk away and, and straight away you're knocked down. Have you understood or grasped how great God is? Again, verse 8, God's power over all the nations. God reigns over the nations. God is seated on his holy throne. The nations submit to little Israel. You see people saying things, I, I, you know, and sometimes it's ridiculous. Christians get themselves in such a tremendous state. I, I read a report this week from some Christians in the United States who are saying, the United States is now the hardest nation in the world to reach with the gospel. Rubbish. That's no, not. I mean, there's the, contrast the United States with the Pashtuns, 50 million, no church. The Belgians, you know, there's, there's the church in Belgium has been 
dead for a long, long time. It's really difficult. What about in Scotland? Of course, every situation, every country, in fact, it's very difficult to reach people. Why? Because the Bible tells us, because people are dead in sin and trespasses. The trouble is that what people are thinking is they're thinking in terms of strategies and and this is how we do this and this is how we do that. But God is king of the whole earth. And it's why really, I know we can look at Caroline and go, wow, she's Wonder Woman, Um, which she's not. She's a wonderful woman, but she's a Christian sister. And it's the same for us in whatever situation we face. Because I tell you, the people you meet at work tomorrow maybe some of the people in your own family, maybe many of your friends, they're as hard to reach as anybody else because they're dead in sins and trespasses, and unless the Holy Spirit works in their life, they're never, ever going to come to Jesus. But our God is King of all the earth. And the greatest hope you have for your friends and the greatest hope you have for your family is that God is King and that God reigns and that God is seated on His holy throne. So God's kingship can be shouted again. Verse 9, the nobles of the nations assemble as the people of the God of Abraham, for the kings of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted. Again, this is the idea of the ascension, God sitting on his throne. The, the kings of the earth, you can translate that, the shields of the earth are belong to God. And it's just the same way of saying that, that all the authorities, all the powers in this world, are subject to God. You don't negotiate with God. You don't say, well, God, I will do this, or God, this will happen, or God. He is the sovereign Lord. All the nations, those who are hostile to him, are sovereign, subject rather, to God. People say, well, this next century is going to be the Chinese century, because the Chinese are are doing so well in their economy and becoming more and more powerful and so on. We don't know what's going to happen. But one thing we do know for absolute certainty is that God is at work in China and that there are many tens of millions of people who've become believers. Imagine being in China as a missionary with uh, what's now OMF, but was the China Inland Mission at the end of the Second World War. And because of a whole lot of politics and wars and fighting and so on, the communists come to power. And Mao Zedong and his government decides to expel all the missionaries, hundreds of missionaries. And those missionaries leave, and the church is in despair thinking, well, what's going to happen now? How will, how will the church survive without us? And when we began to get back into China from the West, what did we discover? That instead of hundreds of thousands of Christians, there were tens of millions of Christians. Because God is not limited by us. And God is not limited by what kings and princes and prime ministers and presidents decide to do. God is not limited by the Taliban. God works all things for good. Michael Ramsden from... Uh, the Rabbi Zacharias or the Oxford Centre down in Oxford tells this wonderful story of how he was in Pakistan and he was asked to go to a mosque and he went uh, to this mosque and he was searched as he went into the mosque and he was wondering what was going on and he realised he was speaking to a whole group 
of what we would call terrorists. Whole group of them, all there with their arms and everything like this. And he was going, oh, well, you know, and he just taught about Jesus. And people were coming up and hugging him afterwards. And he was thinking, what, what's all this about? Um, and when he got back to his hotel room, he was, I mean, he was just delighted at the response that he got. He put his hand in his pocket and started pulling out bits of paper that when people were hugging him, they'd left, asking him to contact them to tell them more about Jesus. Now, God can use anyone and God can do anything. And we as his people need to be not triumphant about ourselves, but we need, even in the midst of the most distressing situation, to look to God as king of all the earth and exalt him. Now, what I like about this ascension here is that it's not just the ascension of the ark up to Jerusalem, but this time it's all the nobles of the nations assembling and rejoicing uh, in God. And I think this psalm was used by the early church to point to the ascension of Jesus Christ into heaven as well. Paul puts it this way in Philippians, therefore God exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you fear that Christianity is going to be wiped out? It's not. It can be. Every knee is going to bow to Jesus Christ. We don't see that just now. And you will go away from here, and you will go into situations tomorrow which are incredibly difficult. And in your own heart, sometimes you do not feel that. But in this instance, what you feel is irrelevant to the truth. The truth is that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He has ascended. He has risen today. The resurrection does not happen every day, but we are called to remember it every day, and we especially remember it on the Lord's Day, the first day of the week. Sometimes when you grasp that, it really does make a difference. Um, there are some wonderful books that talk about the church in the Highlands, where there's tremendous uh, spiritual work. Annabelle is reading one just now uh, from Murdo Macaulay, and uh, there's some great stories in them. And I love all these stories of, of the, the old men and women and young as well, and the things that, that God did and worked through them. And you, you kind of have this impression at times, and sometimes it was true, that Oh, you go into these Highland Presbyterian churches and they're very dour and they're all dressed in black. And, well, they were always trendy. Black's always in. And, and you know, it's, oh, we wouldn't want that. And I'm going, yeah, there are aspects of it we definitely wouldn't want. But there are other aspects of it I say, you know, I'd really long for. And sometimes there's that sense of God's presence. And Murdoch Campbell tells uh, a story of uh, a church in the West Highlands where the minister had finished talking about the glory of God. And the presenter, who was in the box in front of him, stood up and before he started singing, did something that just wouldn't normally happen. And he just turned around to the minister and he just shouted at him, you'll be in glory and I will be in glory. Isn't that grand? That's the truth. That is the truth. 
Spurgeon says this, our joy in God may be demonstrative and he will not censure it. There are times in your life that you will feel very depressed and discouraged. The last thing you need is someone coming along and telling you to cheer up and smile and be joyful. It's okay to cry. It's okay to hurt. It's okay to question. It's okay to come to God with a broken heart. What it's not okay to do is to say, because my heart is broken, because I am hurt, because my circumstances are bad, God is no longer king. He's king, and he remains king. And as we take communion, that is what we remember. So whatever your circumstance is, exalt in this if you are a Christian, that Christ rules, Christ reigns, even though we may not see that in every aspect or in every detail right now, that is still the case. There is someone on the throne, and thankfully it's not you, and it's not me, and it's not President Obama, and it's not Putin, and it's not the Pope, and it's not whoever you want to name. It is Jesus Christ. He is King, and He is greatly exalted. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.